If you have your Bible, take your Bible and hold it up in the air and bear witness of God's Word this morning. Show it to the person around you. Take a moment just to greet them this morning. You may be seated, please. Turn, if you will, to the book of Psalms. Book of Psalms, chapter 127. Psalms 127. You know, I've never ceased to be amazed the way God brings a sermon about. You know, I, I've often thought to myself, I, I, really, I really know I'm not smart enough to speak on behalf of God, and how in the world would I know what God wants somebody to say? But then you continually hear somebody say, well, this is what God was speaking to me today. And understand, He, he lets all these things come into place and come into being so that we can hear what he wants us to say. And I pray that today is a time that you hear what God wants to speak to you. But I sort of want to tell you how it came about. So not too long ago, I was reading in the book of Psalms, and I suggest that people read Psalms through every year and read Proverbs through every year. It's one of the smartest things that you could do. But actually, we were talking about it in a, in a sermon, and we were talking about the first two verses, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. How many people remember that? But I was reading down on into the verse, and I read in the verse, uh, as we got down to verses 4, we were reading in Psalms 127, and it talked about children being the arrows, the arrows. And so it just so happened that you happen to run across that, and you're hearing about that. And I, I was watching this documentary on TV at night, and listen, I'm trying to clear my mind and find something that just doesn't, that just doesn't blaspheme God on TV. Then you, you have to sometimes just get down to one of those Survivor shows or one of those uh, Alaskan, last Alaskan, first Alaskan, middle Alaskans, whatever you are, that, that, that you're going to watch some kind of thing. But I, I got on this documentary about these indigenous people, and they were deep in the woods, and it showed their lifestyle, uh, and it was showing them uh, getting ready to go into a hunt, and they were making arrows, making arrows. Say, say it with me. What were they doing? Amen. They were making arrows. It was the neatest thing, and I was so inclined to watch because they chose a certain kind of wood that they could mold and they could straighten. It wasn't a matter of whittling it out. It was molding and making it, and then they would, they would get off any kind of burr, but it had to be completely, and they would run it in their hands, and it was between like that big jacked-up toe you have when you're running into the woods, and you know, you're never wearing shoes, and I'm just watching them, and it's all in there, and they're just doing this thing, and they get that right, and then they're taking a feather, and they're tying that feather onto there, and they're curving that feather, just like this is, to where when it goes through there, it's being able to spin, and then they're finding the head to put on there, and then sometimes they'll find something to dip the head in so that they can, you know, so it's pretty neat. All these things came, and then I'm, I'm thinking about this arrow, so I ask someone if they had a homemade arrow, nobody had a homemade arrow, so Brother Curry, he got on this project for me, and he made me a homemade arrow, and uh, hey, can you show that arrow? On there where you can see that. I want to show you how awesome this is. You see, this shaft right here, it took a lot of time to do this. And then when you look at the head of this thing, we have an arrowhead that's right here. And then you have this string that's completely tied for strength that goes all the way up around. And it's pretty intense the way it's held on there so it's balanced. And then you come down to the feathers and they're all fluted and shaped in tied onto there. Is that not amazing how intricate that is? So it took a lot of time to mold and make that, but then, you know, I began to work with that, and this is my prop, and so 
I want it to be your prop today. I want you to see it and understand that today we're going to talk about making arrows. We're going to talk about yeah, just, just arrows in general, but we're going to read Psalms 127 first. And so these first five verses of Psalms 127, the Bible speaks about, uh, about God's sovereign power, his sovereignty. So read these first five verses with me of Psalms 127, please. It says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So today, I don't want to just skip over these first couple of verses. I want to explain to you that in these first couple of verses, it warms us up to what God's trying to tell us. And, and this whole psalm is so important. I don't know if you know it or not, but this particular psalm, and if you read Psalms 120 through Psalms 134, for example, maybe you know this already, but they're called the Psalms of Ascent, the Hillel, if you will. And so what happened is back in the day when there were three times a year when the Jews were called up to, to the feast at the temple, and as they went up and ascended up the hill to go into Jerusalem, and it was quite an ascent, they would be singing and saying these particular songs or psalms. That's how important they are. It was to remind them. So very important psalm, okay? So when we read that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it, then how does that apply to us? And, and I want you to know that everybody that's got a goal in life and they're trying to get something out of the life that you want, you're building your life. From the time that somebody goes to school and decides what they want to do, or from the time that somebody decides what they want or their identity, they're building their life. And so what he's saying is, unless you build your life with the Lord, you're laboring in vain. Everything that you put into your plan, and listen, our plan, even though we think it's great, we really can't see past tomorrow. We really don't know whether it's going to rain or not. You know, I'm that guy, and you know, I'm that grass guy. Fescue grass, excuse me. I don't want that to get taken out of context, right? I'm that fescue grass guy, right? And so I'm looking for it to rain all the time. Like I want it to rain. I want it to rain, especially in the middle of summer. And so I'm watching. I'm upset so much at weathermen. I admit, anybody in here, get a witness. And so I'm thinking, you have no idea. It's raining when you say it's not raining. It's not raining when you say it's raining. I'd be better off to put a string outside and say, hey, string will tell the weather. If it's dripping, it's raining. If it's sideways, the wind's blowing, right? So I don't even know what the weather's going to be. But I think that I can plan my life, right? Unless I plan it according to the Lord, I'm going to labor in vain. He goes on to say later on in these, these verses, except... The Lord guards the city. The watchman waketh in vain. I can put every plan in place to keep what I have in my little life plan, but unless the Lord's protecting it, my efforts are in vain. It tells me that I can stay up late and get up early and work as hard as I can, 
And I might make a little bread, but it says I'll eat my bread in sorrow. That means all the heartaches that come with it. What is he saying? He's saying that we've got to depend on the Lord. We have to build it with the Lord. We have to put the Lord as our foundation. We have to put the Lord and his belief as our foundation. But then it gets to verse 3. And it speaks of God's sovereignty in the family. Again, sovereignty is God's supreme power and authority. Do you know that it was God that established the family? Nobody knew that, right? Anybody know that it was God that established the family? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but then when God created man, he took the dust of the earth and he breathed into that dust and man became, the Bible says, a living soul. And then God took Adam after he had named the animals and Adam saw that there was no suitable helpmeet. That means there was no second self for Adam. And I believe that God had him name the animals before he made Eve because that would have really slowed things down with them back and forth. Like, no, I think this should have been named this or this. Or, like, like, listen, I would have been, hey, hold on. Hey, I'm sure she would have been right. Listen, it's us that would have been the problem, right? Anyway, so then God took a rib out of Adam and made Eve. Get this. And then he brought Eve to Adam, presented her to Adam. God established the first family. That's marriage, right? And he said, I present this woman to you. And Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. See, Adam had named everything. So anything Adam saw, he named this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Why? Because she was taken out of man. But you see, man isn't complete till what was taken out of man comes back and is joined to man. And so when he brought her back and God brought her back to Adam, then God decreed, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. God established the family. Get this, you might not realize this, but this is the, the, one of the oldest facts, way, way before the facts that you're hearing today. God actually only establishes a family with a male gender man and a female gender woman. That's the only way a family can be established. It's the only way because God made them that way. And you would have to look over natural anatomy to know that God even, and this is not anatomy class, but God designed a woman with a certain anatomy and a man with a certain anatomy that when they come together, they become one. And then the product of that oneness is another child that is one. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they become one. Now, that is something that God teaches us in his word, right? Okay, God established the family. But then, he opens up this window in this psalm and lets us see the that the family has to follow his instructions and use the power of God and the truth of God to establish his instructions. And I'll, I'll make this statement before I, I even start here that, you know, I don't stand before you as some five-star father. Uh, I've had many failures, right? I never want to be that guy that stands up here and says, don't do this or do that. And on Father's Day especially, you know, I remember, and I, I share this with you, 
because I always thought this was pretty neat. You know, the church that I used to go to, I could count on every Mother's Day. We were going to have that, that Proverbs 31 message, and we were going to put mothers on this, this platform up here, and we were going to exalt them and say everything. But man, when Father's Day came, we were going to tie them to the whipping post. You know, anybody ever feel that way? Guys, come on. Grow your backbone, right? How many people ever feel like, hey, it's Father's Day, we come in and get beat up in service and tell what we... Yeah, yeah, well, I did anyway. Or maybe I was just doing a lot wrong, right? <laughs> Think about that a minute. Today's not going to be a beat up, Dad. You see, because everything today applies to Dad, it applies to Mom, it applies to children. God uses an example here that we can all make applicable. Verse 3 says that children are the heritage of the Lord. That means children are a reward, a blessing of the Lord. And then it gets to verse 4 and 5, and it says these children are arrows in the, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. And I, I began to look at this verse and explore this verse and think about it maybe too much, and you'll be able to tell today whether you leave or not, whether I have, but I want you to understand if children are arrows then who are the mighty men? Well, that would have to be the fathers, right? He's talking about this, this authority that's here that has the arrows and as arrows are in the hand of the mighty man. But this is a different kind of context because when you research as arrows in the hand of mighty men, mighty means strong, but mighty men mean you're uh, you're a warrior. You're a soldier. You're out to battle. We think about these arrows now, and any application we think about arrows have to do with hunting right now, right? When I think of arrow, you think about bow hunting, right? But he's not talking about hunting at all. He's talking about defending. He's talking about going out in battle with this arrow. So how in the world can he, you, you relate that to a child, how do you battle with your child? How am I going to battle somebody with my child? It's pretty neat. I want you to get this. It's, it's eye-opening. Wrap your mind around this. You see, why does the warrior need arrows to begin with? The warrior needs arrows to conquer the enemy. You've watched those older movies before they had guns, and you, you watched them shoot the arrows, Right? All that's done to conquer the enemy. The warrior's fighting to basically to win the battle. Why do we battle things? We battle things because we're against them. Anything that's against us, we battle it. For example, a warrior, in our opinion, in our estimation, in our relatability, we would say a warrior is a soldier. Will you give me that? And what is the soldier doing? The soldier is fighting to defend his country. Now, I want you to think about this. His country is the country he believes in. So what he is fighting for is to protect his way of life and his beliefs. When you find a soldier fighting for a country that doesn't like their way of life, you won't find a good soldier. But what, what makes someone want to fight or go against the enemy? Because you're protecting your way of life, right? You're protecting what you believe. Now get this, because it's all going to apply 
fathers that we talk about today, you know, we should be using our arrows, our children, to protect the, the legacy of our belief. These arrows, well, they have all these different characteristics, and that might not make sense to you right now, but it will in just a minute. See, like the, the warrior, you have, to, you have to know that your arrows are usable. If you're a father here and your children are classified as arrows, there's a lot of detail that went into that, that arrow, right? You know all that detail. It comes through the, the life you've spent with them. But you have to make sure they're usable. You have to make sure that, that they're ready to be shot. You have to know where they aim them. And then you have to know that ultimately one day they will be shot. You're shooting them at what? You're shooting them at the enemy. And that might not make sense, but I want you to see what God's showing us here. And I want to explain something to you. You see, my legacy as a father is to pass my beliefs and keep the beliefs and the truths of my life alive by using my children to keep that legacy alive. If this warrior, if this father, this archer, if he is using his arrows and making his arrows right, then what happens is he's able to shoot them at the enemy to protect what he believes. That might seem fuzzy to you right now, but does anybody know who the enemy is? It's not a certain country. The enemy is always Satan. And Satan is against anything that God is for. And if you're for what God is for, do you realize he has given you arrows, Father? Arrows, fathers, to shoot at the enemy. Why? Because you're only going to be able to shoot as long as you live. And if you want the truth of God to continue against the enemy, to protect what you believe, to protect what God says is truth, don't you know that we better have some arrows that are aimed at the enemy? Amen. Children are a heritage. But not just to say we've got another generation that's born, but to take the belief I want you to understand there's a, there's a lot of similarities, there's a lot of examples that I want to give you, but I won't give all of them to you. But in order to apply this scripture, knowing that children are arrows in the hand of a mighty man, I want to take this verse and sort of pick it apart a little bit, because when it says, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, it means in the hand of a strong man. Fathers, We need to be strong. Our arrows need us to be strong. Our children need us to be strong. But maybe not the way we're thinking. I think about, you know, I'm not that old, but old enough to know that the shows that I used to watch when I was a kid, these families that were on there, man, you had some strong, strong father figures in there, right? Right? Remember? Anybody remember that? 
Don't leave me up here by myself. People think I'm lying to you. Do you get much stronger than Ben Cartwright? Right? Right? And then you've got Andy, right? You can look back and you can think back in those days, you had these strong men in the family. And now I want you to look. Take your average show or sitcom. You've got some bumbling, incompetent, scared, frail, weak father that doesn't know what's going on until after it happens and he's led by everybody else and influence and always messing up. That's the whole theme, right? Man, I can't believe it. I wonder why they would do that. Because the enemy wants to affect your arrow. The enemy knows that it needs to be a mighty man. It needs to be a strong man. But if you keep showing that to the arrows that are growing up in the next generations. I'm just saying, you're going to see where we're going with this. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. So listen, when my kids were growing up, four kids, you know what? I want my kids to think that I am the strongest man alive. I want them to know, hey, feel that, right? <laughs> Look at that. Dads, come on, don't you? Tell me. I want them to think that I'm the strongest man in the world. But you know what it says? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now get this. This is important. If I spend my life making my little arrows and letting them to believe that I'm, I'm the most physical strong man that you, could ever, that you could ever have, you know what? Then they'll say, dad was strong. But you know what? If I live long enough, they'll watch my little frail body lose all my strength. And then what have I taught them? But if I die as that little frail man, but I'm strong in spirit, then I've taught them strength. You get what I'm saying? We're so interested in showing somebody how to work out physically. My kids need to see me working out spiritually. They need to see me on my knees. I need to be, I need to have a, a workout spiritually where they can see that strength. Like arrows in the hand of a mighty man, strong man. And then I began to look at that verse and so get it, there's something else. And I looked over this my whole life, and then all of a sudden, it just it's like God illuminated this. I want you to see it. It's pretty neat. You know, we're responsible for these arrows, the way we make them, the way we mold them, the way we keep them. Ephesians 6.4 tells us this. You can write it on your notes. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Bringing a child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, what are you doing? Making arrows, right? You're making arrows, something that looks like this. And then Colossians 3.1, it says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath or to anger, lest they be discouraged. What is he saying? Spend more time encouraging them the right way to do something. There's a word in this verse that stuck out to me in verse 4 of Psalms 127, it says, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. And I began to notice something. Hey, listen, this is the part where I really might have messed up on. You see, I know when Brother Curry, I know when he made this arrow, everything had to be so specific. 
and everything had to be so uniform and balanced and weighted. This arrow spent a lot of time in his hands, like arrows in the hand of a mighty man. Get this, arrows in the hand of a mighty man. Do you know what we're trying to do today as fathers? I, I, I feel like me and everybody else, we're trying to have the arrows, but are we hands-on enough? You see, if it says in the hands, that means your hands need to be on your arrows. But here's what's happened. We've reached a point, I think, that we're so eager to say, listen, I want to make sure they have every opportunity and provide it that I'm going to put this plan in place and I'm going to work as hard as I can to make it, but I'm going to put them in the hands of everybody else to teach them. You see, it's not somebody else's job to make your arrow. It's a hands-on kind of thing. It's distinct. It's your arrow. They need to represent your beliefs. And your beliefs need to represent the truth of God. The Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. If you're with your children, understand, that child is programmed to ask why. You realize that. Be there to answer why. Especially in this day and time. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in this day and time, there are people lining up to give them the answer. There's an assault against your arrows, guys. And right now, don't you know that they're only going to ask why for a little bit? And then they're going to be able to just look it up. That's what they do. You see, I remember asking stuff for a long, long time as I grew up to my dad. But nowadays, kids just Google it. They look it up. Well, I sure am glad that Google stands for everything that we do. Oh, they don't? So you mean to tell me that my information source doesn't represent the truths that I represent. But I'm sending somebody there to find it out. Well, that just doesn't seem like a good arrow maker, does it? And so I want you to consider this. When that child has a way to get information without asking the parent, they're going to use that because the rest of the world is using it. You say, well, I don't know how we fix that in this day and time. Well, here's just a, maybe a small suggestion. Stop giving them the way to do it until they reach an age where they have to have it. It's heartbreaking enough to know that the child is not even going to embrace the family whenever there's a phone they can look at that's been babysitting them the whole time. And they're going to learn how to use that thing. Use it better than me. Probably a six-year-old can use it better than me because they're acquainted with it and this is the way we pacify them. But understand, hey, there's an open information source on there that they're going to go to before they go to you if you don't spend time with them hands-on. Hands-on. Like arrows in the hand of a mighty man. You, know, you have to ask, who's teaching my child and what are they teaching my child? Is the person teaching your child, teaching them character and integrity based on God's biblical and moral principles? 
I mean, just little things like honesty, fairness, generosity, gentleness, kindness, humility, obedience, courage, contentment, helpfulness, courtesy, discernment, unselfishness, patience, self-control, financial stewardship, persistence, thankfulness, work ethic. There's a big one. Not to mention sexuality and God's order of a relationship. Are you teaching them God's order of a relationship? What is God's order of a relationship? Well, it's a man and a woman and they come together and they, they get to know one another. And all of a sudden when that love grows, then they decide that they're going to get married. And then they have sex together after they get married because it symbolizes the unity, the oneness that's there. And that's the way God designed it. That's the way it's supposed to be. Oh, that sounds foreign in today's time, right? But that's God's order. You say, well, why aren't, why aren't many people talking about that? It's not popular. Why? Because a lot of eras have been sabotaged. That was the way it always used to be, you know? You'd have somebody walking behind somebody, making sure you say, well, hey, you don't trust them? No, my parents shouldn't have trusted me. Come on, somebody raise your hand if your parents shouldn't have trusted you. Oh, you still don't want to admit it, right? Listen, I had a confession last week in the sermon about a time that I lied to my parents and manipulated their judgment on something and they listened to it this week, right? Hey, come clean. Teach your children who God is. Teach them the truths of God. What does that mean? That means that at some point in time, when I'm making this arrow, I need to say, now listen, I'm going to put this on here and I've picked the right thing. And this is what I want you to know when I'm making this arrow. That God loves you. But listen, you are and I am, even your dad is a sinner. God is holy and righteous. He's never sinned. He can't have anything to do with sin. And I believe in God and you believe in God. But son, daughter, you have to accept him as your savior. What am I doing? I'm making an arrow. I'm telling you that if you don't accept him as your savior, if you don't believe that Jesus died for you, that he never sinned, but he gave his sinless life for you. If you don't believe that, you'll never be in a relationship with God. No matter how much you think you are, you have to come through Jesus. He's the only way you can. You won't ever be smart enough and you won't ever be good enough. The Bible tells you that for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not the, nothing of yourself that you've done. You have to accept God's gift. What am I doing? I'm making an arrow. And that today, if you realize that and you, you ask the Lord Jesus to forgive your sins and you accept his sacrifice, he'll save you. What am I doing? I'm making an arrow. And then when they accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, then you say, now listen, here's how you live as a Christian. What am I doing? I'm making an arrow. And they're watching me, just like that little guy that had that arrow and his son was watching him. They're watching how I make the arrow. They actually are the arrow, but they're watching how I make it by the way I live and the movements, not just by what I say. They're watching my actions because chances are they're not going to really have this incorporated into them unless it's something that I'm applying in my own life, right? And I think to myself, here I am, that father, and I can remember, I, I have my regrets. 
You know, I spent that time in my life and I thought, listen, I want my children to have everything that I didn't have. I'm going to work as much as I can. I'm going to put a place, a plan in place. And I can remember my babies being on the floor. And of course, I came home to see them. But I remember stepping over them as I was leaving when they were saying, Daddy, please stay and Daddy, please stay. But me, the big provider, the big protector, the big warrior. No, I'm going back to work so that y'all can have what you what you need. You know what I wasn't doing? I wasn't leaving my hands there to be on them. I've got regrets. And I found out the, the older I became as a father, the better I became. Because I thought I knew everything to begin with. Can I get a witness, anybody? And then once you start seeing a couple of them get older, it changes you. You think, hey, I'm only going to have them for a little while. Which... You know, it's hard for us to realize, but, you know, it's just part of who we are. You know, we're, we're making arrows. The Bible tells us that we have a responsibility when we're making arrows. We have to teach our children what's right. I gave you the gospel. I gave you the truth of God. Teach them that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Amen. Teach them that it's necessary for you to assemble and worship if you want to stay strong and hear the word. You can't do it on your own. God designed us to be a body. That's, that's, that's what we have to teach. But we're not teaching. We can't teach that if, if we're not a part. We can't teach that if we're not being faithful. You can't even think that your arrow is going to have any of that if they don't see it in what you're doing. And you've also got to teach them what not to do. And that's what so many times the, the, the bad rap comes from. Well, hey, listen. Here's dad. He's going to tell me what to do and what not to do again, right? You know, that's, that's part of making arrows. I remember, I, I look at the story back in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the story of, of Samuel. Remember when Samuel got his call and it said, go in and, hey, Samuel, Samuel, who's calling me, right? It was God telling him to go in and tell Eli something. Well, Eli, who was the priest at that time, was a terrible father. His, his boys, who were supposed to be priests, Man, they were doing everything they shouldn't have done. Preacher's kids, you know how they are, right? <laughs> but their criticism was accurate. And they were taking sacrifices they shouldn't have. They were doing these things. And he sent Samuel to tell Eli, hey, y'all are all going to be punished. What do you mean we're all going to be punished? Yeah, your house is done. Your legacy is done. You're going to be punished. Why? It's my boys that did them. Well, listen, read 1 Samuel 3.13. You know why? It says, Sam, it says, Eli, because you knew it and you did not resist them. You see, if you know something is wrong, it needs to be passed on to your arrow. We're responsible for correction. But we don't need to be that person that is just there for that correction. So what would you recommend, Pastor? I would recommend that you make sure that you have that conversation with them. He said it doesn't have to be teaching moments all the time. But actually, teaching moments are going to happen all the time. They just don't need to know they're teaching moments. But what do you mean? Well, like Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7 says, it says, teach them while you walk in the way with them, when you sit down, when you stand up, when you rise up, when they go to bed. Listen, that means have a conversation with them. 
Don't just pop in to say, do this and don't do that. Have a conversation with them. Parents, it's not just the fathers. We need to be having conversations so that when we say something, it's just not a do or don't do kind of thing, right? They need to know that, hey, listen, you're my source of information. And then something you might not think, but you know what we need to do? We need to make sure that we laugh in our homes. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13 through 15. I want to read this to you. It says, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath continual feast. I noticed this, and you know, this is just an observation. But you ever notice the way when young people get around each other? Somebody's always saying something goofy, and they're laughing, and they're cutting up, right? It's fun. I want to be with my friends. But then when they get back around their parents, it's like, what are we doing? Where are we going? Why is that? Well, you know, we've stopped laughing in our homes and making it fun. That child grows up and thinks that if they have to laugh or they want to have fun, it needs to be outside of the home. Or they're going to think that all I need to do is just tune in to mom and dad for what I have to hear. But if I want my fun, it comes outside. And normally it would be against what they say. Why do we stop laughing? Well, man, because we're so intent to do life. Listen, get in the car. We've got to be there in 15 minutes. And after this, we've got to be at the next practice. Listen, we're going to run through the drive through and we're going to get this to eat because I don't get off of work till then and your dad doesn't get off till then. And then get your homework done on top of that. Everything is always like, man, do we always have to be like this? We don't ever do anything but do life at such a stressful level. Right? But listen, I want them to be able to, to, to do gymnastics and I want them to be able to take Kung Fu and I want them to be able to, to play baseball and I want them to be able to do all these things and write. So what do you want your arrow to be able to do? Represent something where you've got somebody else teaching them everything? Or is it in your hands and you want them to teach and, and be able to protect what you teach them? You see, the end of this chapter is telling. I want you to read verse 5 because this blew my mind. I read Psalms 127 and I read verse 5 and it says this. It says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Okay. So I, I want you to, to grab a hold of this thought, if you will, please. You see, everything that I've taught my child in making this arrow and it's not just me teaching my child. You know, I've got a church helping me make arrows, Amen. right? That's the way the church is designed. Yep. Judah, you know that Judah, Sama, he's your arrow, right? But he's mine. He's Miss Angie's arrow. He's Miss Sabrina's arrow. He's everybody. You know what? We're, we're trying to make arrows together, right? But we all got to believe the same thing, right? But listen, He's going to get to an age, and you can't even fathom it now, 
But you're making him into error because there's going to be a day you have to shoot him. He has to leave your possession. And you have to be confident in knowing that he is made to represent the beliefs. Because you're shooting him at a target, right? That's why you're making him just like this. You're not making him to keep. The arrow does the warrior no good to keep the arrow, right? This last verse says they're confident at the gate when they talk to the enemy. Listen, the reason that you can complain or I can complain, and we do because we want our arrows to have our same political belief or our same societal belief. Listen, what you want your arrow to represent is the truth, right? And the reason that we're having a generational decline in the truth and we're all scratching our head and saying, what happened? It's because we didn't put the kind of arrows at the enemy that we needed to. We let somebody else start making our arrows. The enemy's the devil. He doesn't just want to mess up your arrow. He wants to mess up your whole family. But not just yours. He knows the secret, the key to success, the generational truth. The people continuing to get saved is to stop the arrows from going out into the next generation. You see, the arrows go out at the enemy, the children. That next generation goes out. Why? So that God's name is upheld for the next generation. So that truth is stood against the next generation. So that nobody can come in and tell you something as absurd as what we're hearing today. Why? Because there were arrows shot at that. You say, well, listen. I hope these fathers heard this in here today. It wasn't for fathers. It is for fathers, but not just for fathers. Mothers, same things applies. You're making arrows. But let's just stop. Not fathers and mothers. Can I tell you something? Do you know that? You say, well, I, I'm not a father. I'm not a mother. It doesn't apply. You're somebody's arrow. You are somebody's arrow. There's a lot that went into you. You say, well, it, I didn't get what I needed to. Somebody else's fault. They didn't make me right. Are you a Christian? Then you're Father God's arrow. He's trying to make you right every single day. Why? He wants to shoot you at the enemy. Everybody is an arrow. If you're saved, you're Father God's arrow. If you're not saved, listen, he's got you fooled. The devil's got you fooled. The enemy's got you fooled. If you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become God's arrow. He continues to work on you. It might take him a while just to get this part right. Listen, it took him a while on me. And you know, if you just think, hey, listen, I I'm made and I'm good to go. You put this arrow up back there within time and, and humidity change, this arrow gets so crooked it won't even shoot. You have to keep on molding, right? I know I do. You better keep on molding me. Listen, we're all arrows of God. If you're that dad that's in here that says, hey, it's Father's Day and here I've heard another sermon and listen, I, I haven't done what I need to do as far as making arrows. So I guess I just need to leave here all upset. I want to tell you that, listen, 
You're never, never through molding whatever children that you have. God gives you opportunities. And God's never through molding you. His grace and mercy lets us continue. If he's let you stay here another day, he's got something for you to do. But what should I focus on doing? I probably should focus on making arrows. And if he's made you into an arrow, an arrow, don't you know he shot you into your marriage? He shot you into your family? He shot you into your workplace? He shot you into your church body? He shot you into your neighborhood? Why? Because you're supposed to make a difference in representing the truth if you're Father God's arrow. I know that I'm his arrow. And as an arrow for the Lord, we need to be ready to be shot into a situation that we can represent our Heavenly Father in. For our children as our arrows. Listen, put it in the context. Our children as our arrows. We need to be strong. We need to be hands-on. We need to be faithful and consistent. We need to make sure that this is just not what we're doing to, to do life. Hey, God called the children, the next generation, arrows used against the enemy. That's why he gave us the context of a mighty man or a warrior. So there's a battle being fought. The only reason that we can think of that we're not winning this battle it's because of an arrow shortage or arrows that won't shoot. I'm an arrow. You're an arrow. That's the first place I want you to think. If I'm a Christian and I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and I know that he wonderfully made me for a purpose, am I the arrow that he wants me to be? Am I ready to be shot into a situation to represent him and his truth? Am I representing him and his truth in the situations I'm in? God put a lot of time into every one of us. And so I would say you explore that on your knees today during this invitation. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Look at yourself first and look at what God's shown you about this arrow. And know that, hey, you don't have to be a father to apply this because you are an arrow. But if you are a parent and you want help, and you want strength, cry out to the Lord and ask him, God, help me. God, please help me. Maybe you're a grandparent. You realize that you're still molding arrows. You mold the arrows of your children, your grandchildren. You have an impact. You have a responsibility. God has equipped you to preserve the next generation, to keep the truth of legacy going, or the legacy of truth going. Children are a heritage of the Lord. I'm not going to think about your spot in this. I'm going to think about my own. I'm going to do business with the Lord, and you do business with the Lord. If he's spoken to you today, leave here focused. Number one, on what kind of era you are. Number two, if you're intent on making errors. Father God, I love you, and I praise you, and I thank you for this time you've given us. Lord, we give this challenge today, Lord, but we praise you for giving us the opportunity to be a part of something that you want to do, to uphold your truth generationally. Lord, you give us children. 
And Lord, we want to aim those children at the enemy and shoot them to represent your truth and the truths that we've told them. But God, we need your help to better equip us. We've heard your message today. We've got a picture in our mind, and now, Lord, we can relate. So hear the prayers of Christians today that realize, Lord, that they are your arrow. Christians today that are asking you for strength to help them, Lord, in raising their children. Lord, we can't do it on our own, a house that's built without you. Lord, it's just going to be labored in vain. We've learned that, Lord. I pray, God, today you would hear the prayer of every parent, Lord, that just wants your help as they kneel before you, Lord. I pray, God, that if there's someone here that, Lord, they're realizing they are your era, that you have molded them, and, Lord, they want, to, they want to be able to function and serve with the strength you want them to. I pray, God, that you would indwell them with strength at this time. And Lord, if there's someone here that's never accepted your son Jesus as Savior, we pray for their soul during this invitation, God, knowing that you've been working on them and you want them to be, or your arrow to use to be able to affect somebody else. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.